I'm going to invite Sarah Heyman to come up and read our, our scripture for today from Ephesians 6, 10 through the end. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand ground <coughs> on the evil day. And after you have done everything possible to still stand, so stand with the belt of truth around your waist justice as your breastplate, and put shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. As for me, pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that confidently makes the secret plan of the gospel known. I am an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel. Pray so that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I have to say. Um, Tiki, did you just, did you guess? <laughs> my loved brother and faithful servant of the Lord can inform you about my situation and what I'm doing. I've sent him for this reason, so that you will know about us. He can reassure you. May there be peace with the brothers and sisters, as well as love with the faith that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ forever. That was a trap, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I gave her that reading without a chance to, to work through. It's, it's hilarious. Like when some of our seminary students will realize this, after you take a biblical language class, everyone assumes that you know how to pronounce everything everywhere in any language, you know, and that's simply not the case. Most people are just making it up, and if they say that they're not, they're lying. So, very good job, thank you. All summer long, we've been learning about what it means to be rooted and grounded in love. We've been learning this from this letter to the Holy Ones in Ephesus. And it might as well be a letter to the Holy Ones in Lakewood, in Durham, in North Carolina. And it reveals this mystery. There's this open secret that God has done something unbelievable. He's made a people. He's made a family. He's made a, a new humanity based around his son, Jesus. That Jesus has not only created a religion or a social club, but a resurrection body, capital B, made up of a lot of different parts with different functions. His death on the cross and his being raised by the Spirit has made peace. The whole world is still trembling with the aftershock of this peace that was made. And so are we because of this we are different. Or at least we should be different. Then there's this big word. It's actually a small word, but it has big repercussions for us. Therefore. Therefore, we're to walk in the way of love. We're to put off that old stuff. We're to wake up out of our slumbers, wipe the sleep out of our eyes so that we can see the world anew. 
and share this mystery, share this gospel, this good news, this new way to be a human being. And this, this trickles down. It trickles down in every corner and every crevice of our lives, our relationships, our household. In some sense, this, this really strengthens all these relationships. In some sense, it completely and radically wrecks everything we thought we knew before we knew Christ. And now, right as Paul's saying his goodbyes, he makes sure we know the lay of the land. That's our scripture for today. To be sure, we've, we've woken up in a war zone, is what he makes us aware of. We've been there the whole time in this contested space where everything and everyone is vying for our attention, for our allegiance. Even good things and good people get conscripted into the war. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic forces of darkness and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. To quote one of my favorite theologians, Bob Dylan, there ain't no neutral ground. When the Bible talks about powers and principalities, it's not talking about that Christian sci-fi world of the demonic. Maybe what C.S. Lewis was doing in Screwtape Letters has kind of grabbed us too tight that we discard his own disclaimer about doing it wrong. He says we can do it wrong two ways. One is to disbelieve in the devil's existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. In them. In other words, one problem is to not realize what's going on, that we're caught in a struggle. The other problem is to assume that we can win. To assume that we can fight hard enough, or run fast and far enough, or build a high enough wall around ourselves to keep ourselves safe. That maybe if, if we move into some sort of spiritual suburb, we won't hear the shots fired or something. <laughs> but if the second half of the letter to the Ephesians has told us anything, it's that we have been and still can be when we fail to follow Christ, we can be part of the problem. That the powers are not just something out there, but something, not, not just something around us, it's something when we fail to imitate Jesus, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's something that's in here, you know? Mm. Like, that's, that's bad news, but that's, that's good news to actually see that. Mm. Theologian William Stringfellow puts it this way. People, and he's talking about all of us, people are veritably besieged on all sides at every moment simultaneously by these claims and strivings of the various powers, each seeking to dominate, to usurp, to take a person's time, attention, abilities, effort, each grasping at life itself, each demanding idolatrous service and loyalty. In such tumult, it becomes very difficult for a human being even to identify the idols that would possess him or her. Anyone seen The Walking Dead? Has anyone seen The Walking Dead? <laughs> this is what happens every single time. And this is not a spoiler. This is this is just what happens in the zombie apocalypse, right? Because every time there's some 
semblance of security for Rick Grimes and, and his people, every single time they, they establish some sort of like zombie free zone, this, this could be in a, a school or a farm or a house or a compound or a prison, every single time someone gets bit and then starts biting, right? Every single, again, not a spoiler alert, gonna happen. Zombies, that is what happens. Everything and every one has the potential to be part of those powers and principalities, death-dealing ways, more shaped by the patterns of the world and the philosophies that separate, that silence, that put down, that operate out of fear and lack and hopelessness. This is what happens with individuals and groups and institutions and cultures alike. No one is immune. So what the heck are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just walk around and be paranoid? Are we supposed to be hopeless? How in the world are we supposed to live in light of this horrible, damning reality? What? What would Rick do, right? No, um, the answer is simple. The answer is simple from Ephesians. It's, it's so simple, it's almost too easy. So Paul repeats it four times for us so we don't miss it. He says, stand, 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 stand. Sometimes we forget just how much strength it takes just to stand still. We forget just ask a toddler like how hard it is just to stand, right? But needs ask someone in bed rest how hard it is to stand after being on their back for several days. How much strength it takes. How exhausting it is. Ask someone who's trying to stay standing in the ring, and, and I, I don't really watch this, but it, you can't miss it. In the ring with Ronda Rousey. Have you seen me, this lady? Like five seconds, boom. Try to stand in front of a, a UFC wrestler like Ronda Rousey. Ask someone trying to stand their ground in the streets of a place like Ferguson, Missouri, how hard it is to stand. A, po a posture of divine power, then, has to be rooted and grounded in love. Like a tree that is so strong that in a hurricane, it's strong enough to bend, but it doesn't break and it's not going anywhere. It's a way that we show that we know God and that we're being remade in Christ. We show that by not being on the attack, not retreating, but simply standing. Standing, then, for Paul, is a, is a battle posture. Oddly, neither violent nor cowardly. Standing is, is pacifist, but it's, not, it's never passive. Perhaps it best typifies Jesus' own unwillingness to run away from even the most violent evil that would come at him, even death on the cross, but also his unwillingness to fight fire with fire, to combat the wiles of the devil on his own terms. So we get a glimpse at this in Jesus. 
Jesus. We get a glimpse in the temptation in the desert, right? A hungry Jesus refuses to give in to the devil's temptations of anything outside of worship and obedience to the one true God of Israel. Isn't it ironic also then that one of Jesus' closest buddies, Peter, when, when, things, um, when things are starting to get bad and Jesus starts talking about how he's going to suffer and Peter kind of tries to help him avoid that, tries to help him sidestep that, and, and says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. And then it's also ironic because then a little bit, a little bit further on in the story, it was Peter's violent ear-cutting tactic in the garden where Jesus was betrayed that Christ undoes by a healing hand and then says, Peter, put the sword away. Peter, who becomes the rock upon which the church is built, needs to learn and we need to learn as the church how to stand firm. How to be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength even, and especially when that strength and that power looks like weakness, looks like defeat, looks like suffering, looks like death, even when that power is cross-shaped. So we're to stand. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. Pick up the full armor of God so that you may stand your ground on the evil day. And after you've done everything possible to still stand, so stand with the armor of God. Just standing, though, really? Just standing can be uncomfortable to us. Just standing, not doing, not preparing. We like to be prepared. Not hiding. Like, we don't like to feel exposed. But just standing. Just standing does kind of expose us, right? It just makes us, it can make us feel inadequate at times. Most of us live our whole lives seeking the sort of praise and blessing that would allow us to just stand and enjoy it. And then when it comes, we hate it. We're terrified of it, right? We squirm. I remember going to a men's retreat a couple years ago, and, and one component, like you, it's like this intensive weekend. One of the components, when you get to know these guys in your small group, and these are just strangers, men, with all sorts of different backgrounds, with all sorts of different junk that's happening in their lives. And one of the components, after a few days, is you basically just stand there. And the six to eight other men in your group, for about 15 or 20 minutes, tell you about how they see Christ in you. And it is, still to this day, one of the strangest, most beautiful, most uncomfortable and graceful moments of my life, to have complete strangers tell me about myself, and more importantly, tell me about Christ in me. I wonder if in a small way, like, that kind of standing is, is something that would give us a vague idea of what it might be to stand before God's throne. Being known and seen and made strong. Just standing. So in this Christian life now, we stand. But we don't do so naked, 
Like, that's a good thing, right? They, they always tell public speakers to picture the audience naked. Because, and I, I don't think that's a great tactic, but I think they do it because I think most public speakers' worst nightmare is that they'll be the naked one. So it's just like spinning, you know, the consequence. But we don't do so naked. We're, we're not ill-equipped. Remember, we're living in the domain of grace that ripens into peace. We're standing midstream in a shower of lavish grace. God gives us everything we need. He equips us even when we feel like everything and everyone's trying to hurt us. He gives us the equipment to stand. He decks us out head to toe. And the Psalms give us an example of what it feels like to be pressed in upon and to talk to God about it in a visceral, authentic way. For instance, David in Psalm 35, Lord, argue with those who argue with me, fight with those who fight against me, grab a shield and armor, stand up and help me. Use your spear and axe against those who are trying to get me. Say to me, I'm your salvation. In the New Testament also, constantly uses this metaphor of putting clothes on. But not just clothes, putting Christ on. Putting on or being clothed in Christ. One of my professors, Lauren Winter, talks about this in, in a recent book, Wearing God. She says, if to change clothes can be to change one's sense of self, think about how you feel when you dress up versus when you're in gym clothes and you meet someone new. Like, you feel a little different about yourself. If, if to change clothes can be to change one's sense of self, if to change clothes is to change one's way of being in the world, if to clothe yourself in a particular kind of garment is to let that garment shape you into its own shape, then what is it to put on Christ? I think we can ask the same about what is it to put on the full armor of God. This armor protects us, gives us shape, it helps us stand and it helps us withstand. Have <laughs> you been wearing Christ for any time? Do you remember what it felt like when you first put Christ on? Like, explore this metaphor with me, okay? <laughs> like, was it strange? Was it ill-fitting? Was it like when you first got a new sweater, was it scratchy? You know, like, like maybe, maybe it was like that most exciting day in Little League. You remember that day when you got your uniform and your equipment? That was the coolest day. Like you, kids would quit the team after that day, but not before. Right? <laughs> and that day, you had to be clothed with your team. You're given your identity, your number. You're shod with your batting helmet and your scuffless cleats, right? My little brother played. Yeah, I say little. He's 29 now, in my height and way more jacked than I am. And he played baseball all throughout college. And, but as a, as a little kid, he cherished that day, that equipment uniform day so much. Like this is in T-ball. He would come home and he would wear his batting gloves like for a week straight. He'd sleep in them. <laughs> One time he got a ringworm. <laughs> like, like really, really gross. <laughs> and I promise you, the full armor of God will not give you ringworm. <laughs> but even while I encourage you to keep it on, right? 
Or maybe you can remember being equipped for the first day of school, right? This is not just, just preschool. This, this could be grad school. This could be a really recent memory for some of you guys. Lay out your clothes. You set your tabs and your MP3 ring binder. Maybe people don't do that anymore, right? Like you create a folder on your desktop of your laptop, right? For my daughter, now who's starting preschool next week, it's it's making sure she's got that pretty dress, is what she calls it, hanging in her closet in her new backpack, which is like the coolest. And it's pink. Shocker. Um, remember that excitement though? <coughs> remember that excitement when you when you first put on those clothes, that equipment? Remember that feeling that even amidst uncertainty or anxiety that you had everything you needed, not just to survive, but to learn and grow and thrive? How much more with the full armor of God that lets us just simply stand in security and the grace and peace forged by the cross of Christ? How much more will he dress us up in his love? So we're outfitted with a belt and a breastplate, with shoes and a shield, with a helmet and a sword, with truth and righteousness and faith and peace and salvation in the Word. Everything we need but nothing to do. It's terrible for type A people, right? Everything you need but nothing to do. Nothing to do but stand. These are gifts. Gifts are to be given and they're to be received and they're to be shared. And what's more, we, we learn about these gifts not by looking up their definition, but to see what they've meant in God's grand story of hope and healing and hospitality. When we talk about truth and righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and word, we, we can't just look them up. We, we need to we need to live into that story that, they're, that they've been operating. Eugene Peterson says, these things can only exist by becoming incarnate in human beings with other human beings and acts of living. Being. Belts and breastplates look nice in a closet, but they become what they're supposed to be by being worn. In the same way, truth and righteousness can be concepts to be debated over, lobbied for and against, handled with like tongs in a sterile environment, right? But only, but before too long when we do that, they, they become dead, they become empty concepts and we do this sometimes to avoid actually having to do the dirty work of living that truth that sets us free, of tuning our taste buds of our hearts to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, instead of comfort, or instead of injustice. Shoes need to be worn, in the same way peace needs to be proclaimed. It's good news, as much to the oppressor that gets knocked off the pedestal as to the oppressor gets lifted up out of the dust. A shield is hardly a shield if it's not deflecting and extinguishing the subtle pot shots of the accuser that we all too willingly just step right into. Comparison, fear, worry, greed, 
and a helmet. And, and I'll defer to my friend Nate about the virtues of wearing helmets. Helmets need to be worn, right? For a helmet holds a new mind. The mind of Christ that we share with others in the body. It protects us from being rattled or damaged. It helps us think critically and constructively. And then that sword of the Spirit must be used unless it corrodes. Like, if you don't pull a sword out, it just rusts in the sheath, and then you can't get it out. It gets dull. God's Word is a sharp thing. It's piercing enough to do the kind of surgery our hearts need done regularly to remain sensitive to how the Spirit is working in this world. Finally, Paul closes the letter with no less forceful and no less repetitive command. Like, he, he's used all these metaphors throughout the whole letter and assumed that we could just keep up and we knew what he was saying. And then at the end, he like really thumbs it down and figures like we've lost interest or something and just repeats himself constantly. So, if in the beginning we're to stand, 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 at the end we're to pray, 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 is what he says. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. Pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that makes the mystery of the gospel known. And pray that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I need to say. As one theologian puts it, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. That's how much power we have when we're standing and when we're praying. But we so often assume that our energy and our attention and our resources is better spent ordering, spinning our tires. It's better spent running too fast, too far in the opposite direction that we need to go or else jumping too quickly to the place that we don't need to be yet because we're unprepared. So our prayer is like standing. It communicates that we've begun to learn and understand and grow in the trust of our Lord together. We offer prayers in the Spirit because the Spirit prompts and enables and blows on the embers of our hearts. That we, we pray for each other because we're each and all members of one body with different gifts and different struggles, but one Father. We pray for the ability to communicate with our words and our lives the mystery of the good news to the world that is watching. And that will grow in our confidence and our boldness to speak into lives that we encounter even when it hurts. And all of this because of God's grace and peace. And in our series, in our time today, there's this story that allegedly happened years ago in one famous professor's astronomy lecture, right? He described how the, the Earth orbits around the sun and how the sun in turn orbits around the center of a vast collection of stars called our galaxy. At the end of the lecture, there's this little old lady in the back of the room. And she gets up and she says, what you have told us is rubbish. 
The world is really a flat plate supported on the back of a giant tortoise. The scientist gave a superior smile before replying, what then is that tortoise standing on if you're so smart? And she says, you're very clever, young man, very clever, said the old lady. It's turtles all the way down. Turtles on turtles on turtles on turtles. And so I leave you with that story because in the same way, if you haven't learned anything in this whole summer, anything on these Sundays or in your own reading, it's grace and it's peace all the way down, right? Grace on peace on grace on peace. From Paul's opening words, this is verse 2, chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the closing, these final words in chapter 6. May there be peace with the brothers and sisters as well as love with the faith that comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. May grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Grace that grows into peace. Peace that flows from grace. The letter to the Ephesians, like our lives, is bookended. It's enveloped in the grace and peace that we can only get from God the Father and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When we begin to understand that, when we, when we bask in that, we can stand under it. We can, we can stand by it. Our lives will overflow with thanks. Our lives will generate prayer and songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We won't be able to keep this open secret to ourselves about the love which has become the ground that our roots grow into, that we, we sink into more and more deeply. Amen. You all pray with me. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your grace. For the gift of your son that you gave this world that we don't even know what to do with. And thank you for the peace that you've made as Christ has knocked down a dividing wall that keeps us from ourselves and each other, from you. We thank you for this new people that you formed. People that can praise you and honor you in this world. People who live lives that don't make any sense apart from you and your work and your spirit. We thank you. Lord, help us stand. Help us stand in this world that is going to attack us. Help us, help us be mindful and aware and, and not paranoid, but, but just accurate to um, the harms that come at us, the subtle harms that disguise themselves as goods. Lord, help us pray. As we wear this armor that you've given us, help us pray for each other. Help us pray for our leaders. Help us pray uh, for the least of these in our midst. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us everything we need, more than we need, uh, to love you and, and to be your people. 
pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.